0: All right, turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, and children that wish to go to children's church, you're dismissed out that exit right there. We're going to get into the Word a little earlier today and have more worship after the message. The book of 1 John, now not the Gospel of John, but the book of 1 John. Somebody said after the first service, you've got you to keep reading to the end to get to 1 John in the Bible. Can't stop. And so we begin a series today that I'm very excited about from this book called 1 1 John. Before we have our scripture reading, how many of you would agree today that we have a big problem in Christianity, and that problem is that you have many people today who profess with their lips to be followers of Jesus, but their lives don't show much difference. They might have their name on a membership roster at a local church, but compared to the morals and the values of the unbeliever next to them, there really isn't much difference. That it's one thing to say you're a believer, one thing to say you're a Christian, one thing to say you're a follower of Jesus, and it's another to actually live like Jesus called us to live, right? And so this book addresses that. One of the purposes of the book of 1 John is to give evidence for a true follower of Christ. And I encourage you to read through this book numerous times as we're in this series. Look for the repeated phrase, this is how you will know. This is how you will know. This is how you will know. And only one of the eight, I've come up with eight signs of a true believer from this book. Now, your list may be different because you might group them a little different. But only one of those eight has to do with professing with your lips or believing. You know, people say, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died for my sins. So I'm a Christian, right? I believe, I believe. Well, the book of James says, you believe God is one, you do well. The demons believe and shudder. Satan believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Satan knows that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But it's different to believe or have mere intellectual assent to facts about Jesus and to receive Him and follow Him with your life. And that's what this book addresses. One of the purposes of the book of 1 John was also not only to give evidence for a true believer because they had the same problem in the first century as we have today. People who claimed to be Christians, but really weren't living it. But another purpose for this book is to, to, uh, to bring truth against false teachings. How many know there's false teachings today? There's false doctrines out there. There's false churches today. They'll hang the Christian banner... But really, if you put it up to the New Testament standard of a true church, they would be considered a false church. Now, we're not to judge in the sense of ultimately determining, but you can determine things by the fruit, and you can also say, well, if they teach this about Jesus, then they are not a true church, because the Bible is clear about false teachings. And one of the phrases used in the book of 1 John is, many antichrists. So there's the Antichrist, that's a whole different subject, and then there's many Antichrists, that would be any group, any person, any preacher who preaches things false about Jesus is an Antichrist. And so this book addresses uh, false teachings like docetism and and, and Gnosticism, and we'll get into all that as we unpack this, But, but there were beliefs that were emerging at the time, And John is coming against us. Now, who wrote this? Well, it's the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. It's the same John who wrote the book of Revelation. One of Jesus' 12 apostles. Remember how he referred to himself in the Gospel of John? He never called himself by name. How did he call it? Well, How did he refer to himself? Thank you, Stephanie. The one whom Jesus loved. If ever there was a disciple who understood the love of God, received the love of God, and let the love of God transform his life, it was the Apostle John. And one of the themes of this book is love. You'll see him talk a lot about love. How can you claim to know God and yet hate your brother? Ooh. How can you claim to be a follower of Jesus and yet hate people? And so there's a lot about love. That's one of the signs. So I'm already giving you one of the answers, so I want you to be looking for those eight signs of a true believer. One of them is that you love people. Does it mean you're perfect? No, but you love people, you see people different, you see them through God's eyes. Now another reason why I believe God wants us to go through this book is because it deals with a lot of topics that are so relevant today. Today we're going to learn all about Jesus. It's it's what a privilege to preach. This is just good old Christology today, teachings and truths about Jesus. I get the privilege of just preaching Jesus today. Eight truths about Jesus, but there's also about who we are in Christ. There's a lot in this book about our identity in Christ. Next week we'll look at today we look at the true Jesus. Next week we'll look at the true. Uh, what is true righteousness? What is false righteousness? We had some great questions in first service today about purgatory and things like that. And so this deals with true righteousness, true forgiveness, true eternal life. It deals with discipleship, deals with spiritual warfare, deals with love. It deals with identity of Jesus. Now, another reason I want to preach through this book is it's, it's, like so many books of the Bible, it's got a good balance of milk and meat. Milk that's just easy to digest. You know, I would say today, I hope today is a sermon that gives you milk and meat, but it's kind of a milky sermon in the sense that it's just basic truths about Jesus. Um, Just the basics of Christianity. But also, man, there's some meaty stuff here. There's some real meat that you can chew on. But the final reason that, that I believe God wants us to preach through this book, and I told you last week I'd tell you about a literal dream I had. So I've been wrestling, you know, with what's the next book of the Bible that God wants us to go through. I was thinking about Ecclesiastes, thinking about James, thinking about uh, Galatians, and, and then I was thinking about 1 John. And so a week ago Monday, I come to the office and Kathy Hayes tells me that her, their small group is going through my book, Well Done. Chapter 1 is Well Done in Hearing God, and one of the ways that God speaks to us is through dreams. So somebody in their small group said, hey, let's all pray that God gives us a dream to show us that this is one of the ways He speaks to us. And so that kind of brought dreams in my forefront, and so I went to bed that night, and I said, God, I just pray that you'd give me a dream to show me if 1 John's the book that I'm to preach through. And as clear as you're sitting there right now, I dreamt that night, I dreamt that I was in a uh, coffee shop, and I tell this guy that I had never even seen before, hey, I want to invite you to Living Hope. I'm preaching through the book of 1 John. And then I leaned to the guy next to me in the coffee shop, and I said, yeah, and it's titled, True Christianity, The Real Deal. And I wake, wake up and I just said, thank you, Lord. What a confirmation that this is what we're to do next. All right, so we're going to begin with the first four verses. Let's stand in respect for God's Word. And I'll read uh, verses 1 to 4 in the ESV. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Father, I ask you now just to anoint your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we proclaim Jesus, as we exalt Jesus, as we bring the spotlight upon Jesus, might you give us a fuller understanding, but more importantly, a proper response. That we would love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That Jesus would have first place in everything as he so deserves. For your glory and our good. Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Eight truths about Jesus today. Number one, Jesus is eternal. John begins this book much like he begins the book of the gospel of John, where he he exalts and brings attention to the fact that Jesus is eternal. Jesus has existed from eternity past, and he will exist for eternity future. You say, well, wait a minute. No, Jesus didn't exist until 2,000 years ago when he was born of the Virgin Mary. No, 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 no. The Gospel of John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Just like in this passage when he says, he who is from the beginning... Two times, did you notice this, the word manifest was used. So Jesus existed from eternity past as the second member of the Holy Trinity. He became flesh or was manifested when he was born through the Virgin Mary 2,000 years ago. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each equal in deity, yet distinct in personhood, each involved at creation. The Bible says in Genesis 1 verse 26, let us make man in our image. That is a plural pronoun. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all involved at creation. The Bible says in Colossians 1 that all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. God the Son was involved in creation. God the Son was involved with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit at creation in speaking the world into existence. Nothing was created that wasn't created by Jesus Christ. In John 8 verse 58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was born, I am. And it freaked the people out. Wait, he's claiming to have existed before Abraham was born. Yes, because in the beginning was the Word, and then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ has existed from eternity past. There is not a time when Jesus did not exist, because He is God. So He is eternal. Number two, Jesus is historical. So now we move to the point at which He was manifest. And John goes out of his way to point out, look, this Jesus I'm speaking of, we have seen Him. We have heard Him. Our hands have touched Him. This is one of the twelve apostles, beloved, who lived with Jesus for three years, who saw and heard the Sermon on the Mount. He was there when he fed the 5,000. John was there when he cleansed the leper, when he raised Lazarus. Remember, this is the John that often Jesus, when he wanted only his closest apostles to be with him, it was all Peter, James, and John. He was one of his favorites. He was one that Jesus entrusted things to that, that the others didn't have the privilege of being a part of. And maybe this is one of the reasons why John would call himself the one whom Jesus loved. This John saw Jesus, heard the teaching, saw the miracles. You know, it's interesting we have five senses, right? See, taste, smell, touch, hear. Three of those five are mentioned in these first three verses. He talks about seeing, touching, hearing. Why does John do that? Because he wants us to understand, look, I was there. I saw him, I heard him, I lived with him for three years. This is not just something I've made up to give you some blind hope. No, he's a real historical man. This is very similar to what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1 verse 16. He said, listen, we do, we do not follow cleverly invented tales when we've made known to you this Jesus, for we were witnesses of his glory. You go to a court system today, you appear in court and you say, I saw that murder, or I saw that theft, or I saw that, that robbery, I saw that accident. The power of an eyewitness account. And that's what we have in John, and that's what we have in all of the apostles. And many of them sealed their testimony in martyr's blood, willing to die a martyr's death for their faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, in Hebrews chapter 11, when it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Listen, there's substance to your faith in Christ. Faith in Jesus is not some blind leap in the dark where it's like, well, I sure hope it really is true, but there's really no evidence. Oh, no, there's evidence. It's called apologetics, archaeological evidence, eyewitness evidence written accounts, the Gospels. Historians like Josephus, who wasn't even a believer, spoke of a Jesus who performed miracles and rose from the dead. You go to the Holy Land today and you see the places firsthand where the Bible speaks of things happening. There is powerful evidence for our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I've told this many times, but when I came to the University of Georgia as a college student, a brand new believer, First time in my life when my faith was shattered because professors would make stupid statements like, oh, nobody believes in Jesus anymore. Nobody believes in the Bible anymore. It's full of contradictions. I knew what I believed, but I didn't know why I believed it. So it made me go to Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell and these people who've really studied the the historical validity for the Christian faith. And man, did it rock solid solidify my faith. Because I saw there is evidence. There is so much evidence for Jesus Christ being who he claimed to be. He is historical. Now listen to these two powerful quotes. One is by Thomas Arnold. He was the chair of modern history at Oxford in the 1800s. He said, I've been used for many years to study the histories of other times, to examine and weigh the evidence. See, weigh the evidence. That's what you do with historical issues. You weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Amen? E.M. Blakelock, professor of classics. He died in 1983. I am a historian. My approach to classics is historical. And I can tell you that the evidence for the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is better authenticated than most of the facts of ancient history. And I could give so many more. Jesus is historical. He's a man who literally came to earth, lived in what is now modern Israel, performed miracles, proved that God is real, because he, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Number three, Jesus is the word of life. Paul, or John writes here, concerning the word of life. What does this mean? Does it mean that Jesus is the word of life? Well, first of all, he's called the word in John 1. In the beginning was the word. I think one of the reasons he's called the word is because it's his word that creates life. His word produces life. His, his word, physical life in Genesis, when he spoke the world into existence. His word produces life mentally and emotionally Because His teachings are so deep and full of truth that when applied to your life, you're better off. His Word is life for your marriage. His Word is life for parenting. His Word is life for your finances. His Word is life for your identity. His Word is life for your emotional health. And ultimately, I think He's called the Word of life because He, as the Word, gives us salvation life. Through His shed blood, through His death, through His resurrection, Jesus Christ gives us ultimately salvation salvation life, which leads to number four, Jesus is eternal life. Here he says, we proclaim to you, I like this, the eternal life. Now listen, eternal life is not just going to heaven when you die. It includes that, and we'll get to that in a minute. But in John 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Do you realize that eternal life begins the moment you get saved? The moment you repent of your sins, the moment you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, the moment you are born again, eternal life begins for you that moment. So eternal life is ultimately a relationship with God, whereby the sin barrier has been removed, that which kept you from a relationship with God called sin has been removed, you've been cleansed, you're accepted by God. At that moment you're born again, you begin eternal life. It is a relationship with God. This is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou sent. Now, it just so happens that because God loves you so much and wants that relationship to continue for all of eternity, he says, guess what? When you die, your spirit leaves your body and you go to be with me in a place called heaven. So that eternal life begins the moment you're saved and it extends for all of eternity because God loves you so much, he wants you with him forever and with his people forever. Sweet Lisa Chambers is with us today, and we had the funeral of Steve We week ago Saturday. And I told Lisa in one of our conversations, I said, Steve's death just again reminds me of how amazing it is that God created this thing called heaven. He didn't have to do that. He could have just said, when you die, it's over. You just die, and you cease to exist. I mean, even, I'd still get saved even if that was the deal. I would. Because fellowship with God is so amazing. Forgiveness of sin is so amazing. Getting a new identity, having a purpose in life, knowing, loving, serving God. I'd get saved even if heaven wasn't a part of the deal. But how amazing. Think Just trying to remove yourself from what you've known all your life, maybe just for a minute just imagine how amazing that our God loves us so much that He created a literal physical place called heaven. John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Revelation says it is absent of sin, death, Satan, and anything bad. It's What's present is everything good. It's fellowship with God. It's fellowship with others. There's no sin. There's no bitterness. There's no cancer. There's nothing bad. How amazing. God didn't have to do this. That he would create this place where after we die, we go to be with him and his people forever and ever and ever. I have a whole new appreciation for heaven. The more funerals I do, the more I appreciate heaven, the older I get, the more I appreciate heaven. What an awesome God we have. Listen, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that if you die today, you'd go to heaven, you need to know and you need to have that assurance and go all the way to the chapter five of first John five. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life, not hope, not wish, not flip a coin and hope it comes heads. No, he says you can know that you have eternal life. He wants to give you that assurance. You say, how do you know? Because God promises in his word, if you have the Son, you have eternal life. His word is true, and you can stake it on that. Jesus is eternal life. Number five, now for Christ to be our Savior, for Christ to give us eternal life, this next one is huge. Don't just glance over it. I know you've heard, oh, Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he's the Son of God. But do you understand why that's important? Number five, Jesus is the Son of God. He says, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, this is clearly defined right here. He's the Son of God. What does that mean? Well, first, He's the second member of the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Again, each equal in deity, distinct in personhood and function. Jesus is the Son of God. John 3, 16. Spoken by Jesus. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. The reason the doctrine of Jesus being the Son of God is so important, listen carefully, this is an essential, we talk about unity in the essentials, diversity in the non-essentials, love in all things, what are essentials? Essentials are those teachings and doctrines and truths that have a direct relevance on your salvation. Jesus being the Son of God is an essential doctrine. Here's why. Jesus had to be fully God, fully divine, and fully human to be the full Savior of our sins. He had to be fully divine, Son of God, in order to be the perfect sacrifice. He had to be fully human, minus sin, Son of Man, in order to take upon Himself our sin. In the Old Testament, it had to be the perfect lamb, son of God, deity. It had to be a lamb that was slain, that the sins were put upon that lamb, his humanity. He had to be fully divine and fully human to be our full redeemer. He had to be divine to be the righteous, perfect sacrifice. He had to be human to take upon Himself your sin and mine. Thus, He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is fully God and fully man to be our full Savior. Number six, because of what He did, because He went to the cross, and I can't wait for our Good Friday service this year, Because our theme this year is for the joy set before Him. You realize that even Jesus in His suffering, Philippians 2 says, there was a joy set before Him. How could He have joy in the midst of suffering, in the midst of being flogged, rejected, spit upon, nailed to a tree? Because He was looking at the outcome of what His death and resurrection would accomplish. He literally, I believe, saw you and me as He died on the cross. That was the joy set before Him. And what Jesus did and what He accomplished, because He shed His blood, He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. It broke the sin barrier. It absorbed the wrath of God. It removed the barrier between us and God, giving us fellowship with God. And this word fellowship is koinonia, It is is a relational intimacy at the highest level. It is a connection with another person at a deep level because he removed the sin barrier. He declares us righteous. He paid the full price for sin. It allows us fellowship with God. This is why Hebrews says, because of the shed blood of Jesus, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. When you accept Christ, when you get born again, your sin is removed. You get a new nature. You receive acceptance from God. You are declared righteous. This means your relationship with God is fully there. It's not like you get half saved. It's not like you get three-quarters saved. It's not like somebody's got to pray you out of purgatory when you die. You get fully saved, fully righteous, full fellowship with the Father. It doesn't get any better. You just need to experience it more and more. Salvation is complete. There's no more left for Jesus to do. He fully paid for your sins. He fully bore the wrath of God. And that gives you acceptance from God. Fellowship with God. This means even when you're struggling, you can come to God. Say, God, I'm struggling. God, it just seems like you're so distant. God, I don't understand why you didn't heal somebody. God, it just feels like my prayers are not getting answered. Listen, David is called a man after God's own heart. And he struggles often in the book of Psalms. So if you struggle... If God feels distant at times, press through that. David had that same experience. It is the normal struggles that we have because we live on earth, and it's called the fight of faith. But That's when you go back to the truth of God's Word, and you stand on the assurance that I have fellowship with the Father, He loves me. He accepts me. I am declared righteous in His sight. I have a new nature in Christ. I have the indwelling Holy Spirit. God the Father loves me. His promises are true. And God, I'm going to stand on you. I'm going to pray to be filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. But thank you that you give me fellowship with you. And He's good, you guys. Now, in addition to that, He gives us fellowship with others. Same word, koinonia that you may have fellowship with us. Isn't that cool? John is saying, look, Jesus, because of what he did, he gives you fellowship with the Father, and he also gives you fellowship with others. This is that beautiful doctrine called the importance of the body of Christ. I think the reason the cross is vertical and horizontal. Vertical is to remind us that we have fellowship with the Father, and the horizontal piece is that we have fellowship with one another. It was the great Saint Cyprian martyred in 348 AD, who says, you cannot, listen, you cannot have God as your father if you don't have the church as your mother. What he meant by that was this, your relationship with God is never to be separated from your relationship with the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, the moment you get saved, it says you are placed into the body of Christ. Anne might be a leg, and Mary Catherine might be an arm, and Chance might be a toenail. I don't know. But, but we're all members of the body of Christ and equally important. And the reason the Bible says that is because it says you need and I need to be in community. You do not divorce your relationship with Jesus from community. This idea that, oh, I just I just worship God in my deer stand. I don't like church. First John would say you may not be saved. I'm just telling you, if you remove yourself from fellowship with others, first of all, you're guilty of Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Listen, turn to that if you want. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. They have the same problem then as we do today. <laughs> but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I want to say this with gentleness and love. I want to address some of you watching online. It's time to get back to church. Now, if your doctor has told you that you have issues that literally this would be unsafe for you medically, I get that. Or if you have other reasons why you physically can't come here, we get that, okay? There's a, there's a grace card there. But I also know that many of you, and look, we're glad you're watching online, okay? That, that, that's better than nothing. But it's not assembling yourselves together. If you're physically and medically able to assemble yourselves together, you need to get back in church. And I say this because I had a guy this week, because of a post I made on Facebook, make a powerful admission. And this is a guy who's healthy. He's single. I mean, he didn't have the issue of getting kids together and all that. You know, four kids. I know what that was like when they were young. It's hard. By the way, here's a piece of advice for young parents. Put out Saturday night what they're going to wear Sunday morning. This helped us immensely. You already decide Saturday night what they're going to wear Sunday morning, so you don't go through this big argument Sunday morning. I don't want to wear that, you know, and you just get frustrated. You say, we're not going to go. Lay out what they're going to wear, then it's already predetermined, predestination right there, and (laughs) that's what they're going to wear. But this brother made a comment, and I thought it was powerful. He said, Pastor David, thank you for that challenge because I admit I've gotten lazy. I've gotten in a habit of just going to Jittery Joe's on Sunday and watching online. It's Time to get back to church. I understand COVID and all that, but some people have allowed COVID to just get them in this kind of pajamas mentality. I'll just keep my pajamas on, have my other, you know, my extra cup of coffee and just watch the online thing. And here's, what, here's, one, here's another thing I want to say to you. Not only are you missing out on something, we're missing out on you being here. Because you have something to offer others here. You see? It's not just what you're missing out on, but it's, it's who here is missing out on you not being here. Because you, you, by coming, may be able to encourage somebody else. You may get in a conversation with somebody or somebody shares something with you to pray for them about And it's the very thing you went through 10 years ago and you've never seen the purpose of it But because you can share with them what you went through 10 years ago. You encourage them. And so it's a two-way street. There are people missing out on your presence in ministry when you're not here. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Now, this is also a good time to talk about something that I'm excited about regarding the vision and future of our church. Because of how important our fellowship with one another is, I want to share with you kind of a new direction we're taking as a church in terms of our small groups. Now, we will always offer some adult small groups on Wednesday nights. Those are more topical because we have children and youth ministries, and we'll always have something here for adults. But next to that, we want pretty much the direction of all of our small groups starting in the spring and then the summer and the fall, to be geographically home-based connect groups. We want you to connect with people that live near where you live. We've got six right now. For example, one in Watkinsville, one in Carleton, one in the Hall area, and, and so or Comer area. And what, what, what's powerful about this is, is we want you connecting with people in this church that are close in proximity to where you live. Those are people that you can be more effective in meeting their needs. Maybe they're in the hospital and they need meals brought. Those are people that maybe your kids are going to be involved in the same, you know, little league softball and baseball, and you have that interaction. But also, it's so strategic in terms of outreach because that's the area that we want you to pray about reaching and reaching out and winning people to Christ. And then the cool thing if we get two or three small groups in these geographical areas and we kind of go wow that seems to be a strategic maybe that's a strategic area to plant a new church maybe living hope church is to plant in that area and those three small groups join together and form the core team for that church plant and so this is the direction we're heading and if you have a heart for this and you're willing to maybe just host a group or co-lead a group or be the prayer director of that group or be the outreach director of that group this is the direction that we want more of our small groups to head in because Jesus gives us fellowship with one another. And I've said this so many times, but I'll say it again. I understand that one of the biggest challenges in walking with Jesus is relational conflict. I get that. Look, that's what family's all about. Families have conflict. Families will hurt each other. Families will sin against each other. Families will rub each other the wrong way. Welcome to life. But that's often where we grow the most. We grow the most through conflict and having to biblically resolve it, having to forgive those who sin against us, having to meet together and try to work things out. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That means there will be people you can't be fully at peace with. Maybe they don't fully repent. Maybe you don't fully forgive. But the bottom line is it's as we work together and as we try to biblically resolve conflict, that's often where we grow the most because we have to depend on God the most. So when you have conflict, don't cut and run. Biggest mistake people make in the church, they have conflict with somebody and they say, well, I love Jesus, but I hate God's people, so I'm just going to run. I'm just going to be by myself. If you do that, you will sabotage your own sanctification. You'll sabotage your own sanctification if you cut and run. All right, final truth about Jesus today. Jesus gives us joy. I love the way he just says this in verse 4. And we're writing these things to you, but why did I just say all these things to you about Jesus? Why did I just talk to you about him being eternal and being the Son of God and giving us fellowship with the Father and fellowship with others and, and on and on and on? Because he wants to give you joy. The Bible speaks of joy so often. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Nehemiah 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. John, same author of this book, 16, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a joy that no one can take away. Whoa. John chapter 15, verse 11, I've told you this that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. This is a great one. Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not blossom. In other words, things aren't going well. There's no grapes on the vine. There's no cattle in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. What does that point to? It points to my definition of joy. It's an inward state. Of contentment and satisfaction, regardless of external circumstances. Look at that closely. See, happiness is dependent on circumstances. Happiness is getting a new job. Happiness is getting a pay raise. Happiness is getting a new house or a car or the boyfriend or girlfriend that perfectly meets your needs. Joy, on the other hand, is an inward state of contentment, satisfaction, even pleasure that comes from a relationship with Christ. Despite the circumstances, the greatest book of joy in the Bible is the book of Philippians, written by Paul when he was in jail. Despite being in jail, despite suffering, despite being chained to a Roman soldier, he talks about a joy that was inside of him because of his abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. My friends, even when times get tough, even when circumstances go south, even when you suffer, there can be a supernatural, Spirit-empowered joy on the inside of your life. And the only explanation is Jesus Christ. And what a testimony that gives to a watching world when they see you experiencing the joy of the Lord as your strength, even though all hell is breaking loose around you. And so let's review what we've learned today. Oh, He's good. Jesus is eternal. He's historical. He literally came to earth, beloved, for you and me. Jesus is the Word of life. His Word gives life. His Word is life. He is life because He's the Word. He is eternal life. He's the Son of God and He's the Son of man. He gives us fellowship with God because of His sacrifice on the cross. And He also gives us fellowship with one another. And He gives you a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. All right, let's take some questions. You can text those in or you can raise your hand and a microphone will be brought to you. And then we're going to go into a time. Of extended worship and response. Thank
1: you. Even though I've accepted the Lord and I try to follow the Lord every day. How do I know that my sins
0: that I make on a daily basis are covered under the forgiveness? Awesome question. Brother, you have a perfect lead into next week. I will answer it, but that is exactly what the second half of chapter 1 talks about. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now listen, the moment you get saved, He forgives you all of your sins, past, present, and future. Then you say, well, then why do we confess? We confess to experience in the now what was given to us the moment we were saved. If you were not guaranteed that all your sins were forgiven the moment you were saved, then you would wonder, how do I know for sure that when I die I have eternal life? And this is why the Catholic Church gets it dead wrong on this. You know, you got to have a priest there right as you die. Do the last rites. Make sure you've confessed all your sins or else what happens? You've got to go to purgatory. And purgatory is that place where people will pray you out of that place so you eventually get to heaven. By the way, it's the most, it, it, it is the most masterful uh, financial marketing technique ever invented by a church. The Catholic Church has made hundreds of billions of dollars on the doctrine of purgatory and is absolutely a doctrine of demons. Because purgatory says what Christ did on the cross was not good enough. You need to get the prayers of other people. You need to pay money to a priest to remove your sins. When you get saved, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. Now in order to experience the reality of what was given to you at salvation, if you become aware of an area of your life that is sinful, you had an impure thought, you did something you know grieved God, you agree with God, that's what confession means. The word confess means homo legato, to say the same thing. You agree with God that you, what you did was wrong, but you don't ask him to forgive you. You say, thank you that I was forgiven for that when Jesus died on the cross, and I'm appropriating that now, what you've already given me, so that you're walking in righteousness. I hope you caught all that. If not, next week we'll say the same thing. All right, you got to follow-up.
1: So you're telling me, like, as far as the confessions go, like, I've sinned some sins that I may not
0: remember. Those sins are not going to hurt me. No. Everything was forgiven when you got saved. All your sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven when Jesus died on the cross and you received the forgiveness of sins when you were born again. That's why you're declared righteous. That's why it says you come boldly before the throne of grace. Complete righteousness before God is what you have. Now, it's, 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 it's biblical to say, I think it's biblical to pray Psalm 51, God, you know, or, or Psalm 139, Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. That is because you want to walk in the righteousness that you already have. God, I'm already righteous. I'm already completely forgiven. This is not to get forgiven more. It's to walk in the forgiveness that I already have. So God, I ask you to show me any area of my life that is displeasing to you because I want to please you. You pray that so that you walk in more abiding fellowship. You don't pray that because, oh my gosh, if I miss some sin, then I'm probably not going to go to heaven when I die. See, that's called fear. Perfect love cast out all fear, 1 John 4, 7. Does that help? Receive it. I know it's hard. If this is new teaching to you, you, you it, it takes a while to soak it in because you've too many Christians live with a... A sin consciousness. And if they live more with a righteousness consciousness, 90% of sin will take care of itself. Because you'll realize that to sin is acting inconsistent with who I truly am. You see? Big difference. When you know who you are, when you realize the righteousness you have in Christ, you don't want to sin. You don't want to live inconsistent with who you are. And that's what we're going to deal with more next week. Leola has one. Anybody over here? Or back there. And then here. Ooh, we got a bunch. This is good.
1: I'd just like to say it's it's really not a question. When I think about when you come to God to ask for forgiveness, you sincerely don't want to do the things that you used to do. You come to him and you say, I'm giving you all the things that I did before. And you don't return to those things. It's not like the dog returned to okay. his mama. Yeah. You leaving that on the ground, and you look into God to keep going. To it. and and when things come before you, say, I don't want to do that no more. So you can talk to Satan to get behind me. Amen. I am not doing what you're offering. And then when God Hallelujah. When God gives you joy. It's a joy, unspeakable joy that you just Mm -hmm. can't override. It's just great. Hallelujah. That's That's
0: good. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He gives you the desire. That's part of the indwelling Holy Spirit is to give you the desire to follow Jesus. If you don't have a desire to follow and love and obey Jesus, you may not be saved. Because one of the indications that Christ is really in your life is that you want to live in a way that pleases Him. Yes?
1: How would you care for a friend who grew up in the Christian church and doesn't have an issue with a specific person or a specific church that did something that can be reconciled, but just the American church in general and doesn't want to be associated with it?
0: Ask it a different way. I'm not quite sure what you're asking.
1: Like the institution of the Western church versus like a wrong that was done to them that can be discussed in a biblical way and reconciled.
0: Does that make sense? I didn't catch. I'm sorry. The audio up here is hard for me to grasp. Did you get that, Shannon? Or can you repeat it? I am getting it, but I haven't got it All right. One more time. I apologize. Part of it said I'm not hearing it.
1: Sorry. Jumping in. Like more frustrated at the systemic injustices and way in which the Western church is perceived by non-Christians than necessarily a one-on-one sin or issue that happened within the church, but rather like the church beta or the whole thing. So how, how the
0: church is being viewed by non-believers because of all the areas maybe where they see us falling short is it how do we respond to that? No? No. no.
1: It's her, her, her friend is frustrated by the entire Western church. Okay. Like how it's perceived, how we're behaving, like the whole thing. Versus, oh, one person sinned against me and I'm annoyed at the church.
0: Well, I would say, one of the things I'd say, I hope this answers it, bring, the, bring it back to Jesus. Okay? The church is not perfect. The church never will be perfect. This doesn't mean that we're trying to excuse ourselves. But, but, but with that person that you might be concerned about or ministering to, bring the focus back to Jesus. The ultimate bullseye is Jesus. Look to Christ. He was perfect. The church has failed, yes, and we're trying to do better. You know, and, and I'm sorry for the ways that the church has been horrible in, in history, but, but you can't find fault with Jesus. And I think in ministering to those type of people, and there's a ton out there, aren't there? A ton of people today that I, we all know of People that are turned off to Christianity because of the faults and stains and blemishes of the church. And we've got plenty. Guilty as charged. But Jesus was perfect. Jesus is the one you need to look to. And you can say, hey, become a Christian and help us change this. You know, let's do it different. What's that? It's not our righteousness, it's His that ultimately pointed point to. Text me later if that didn't fully answer, because that's my number that's on the screen. Yes.
1: (laughs) Pastor David, I know that it's your birthday today, and you don't want any recognition, but you always sign your emails, Jesus is the head of the church. Amen. And I've gone to churches all my life in Dalton when I moved here. It's just like you walk in the door and Jesus is here. Mm -hmm. And when my cousin and his wife came from Ohio, I couldn't wait for them to... They were going to leave today. I said, no, stay over and go to church so you can experience Mm. Jesus. And I just want to thank you for allowing Jesus to speak through you and uh, help all of us in community.
0: Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, worship team, why don't you all come on out? I got one back here. Is there coming? We can maybe do one or two more.
1: I just uh, was wondering if you could expand a little bit more on being righteousness conscious. Like what, in practical terms, if you want to become righteous conscious, what, what do
0: you do? How, how does that... Man, love the question. So here's the thing. I think too many believers, and, and, and the, the heart behind it is often good. They're sincerely wanting to live a godly life, but they're so, they're, they're, they're so focused on their faults and their sins... And I I gotta confess my sins every day. And, And they're just they're focused more on their sin and where they fall short than the righteousness they have in Jesus. And I think the reason that Paul begins so many of his books, Ephesians is a classic example, with with grounding people in who God is and who they are in Christ, because if you if you know who you are in Christ, behavior tends to take care of itself, it just does. And so I guess the challenge would be spend more time focusing on who God is and who you are in Christ, the truths about your identity, the bookmark that's on that free resource rack in the lobby. It's just all these truths from Neil Anderson's book, Victory Over the Darkness, who you are, I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm righteous, I'm a part of the body of Christ, I'm redeemed, I'm saved, I have eternal life. You repeat those truths to yourself daily. It will transform how you live. It will. Instead of, oh my gosh, i got to try to keep every thought pure today. Oh my gosh, I, I, I can't have a lustful thought. Oh my gosh, i got to be careful what I look at on TV. All of that's true. We do need to be careful. We do need to take every thought captive. But when your focus is on that versus who you are, it just tends to put you in the wrong direction. It's more of a, 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 a defeatism mentality. It's like the illustration of two people. They're walking, it's pouring down rain, there's a mud puddle. One's got a white tuxedo. It's perfectly clean, bleached. It's just beautiful. The other guy's got rags on. He's torn jeans. He's all dirty. Who's going to more avoid the, the mud puddle? The guy with the white tuxedo. He doesn't want to get dirt on his beautiful apparel. If you believe who you are in Christ, you don't want to sin because that's acting inconsistent with who you truly are. And we'll unpack that more next week. That's a great question. Great question. I think we got one. Right all right, last one.
1: Uh, yes, I, I agree. That, that you you're, you seem like you preached to me today, Pastor, and uh, the fellowship that we can do for each other. This man asked a question that has touched my heart. Amen. I was lost. I was in the world. Thought I was serving the Lord, but I go to Scripture. Uh, the Lord says you can't serve two masters. You love one and hate the other. You think you're serving the Lord, you might not be serving the. You might yeah. be serving the Lord of the world and not the Lord that came and gave his life and spread it and, and bled as blo- blood so we could be saved so satan roars as a roman lion trying to kill and destroy you need to go to scriptures all the time satan tries to, to hey oh lord have i been forgiven? oh use your blood's done and cleanse me you go to scriptures and 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 digging the bible and, and it's, as our pastor says, come to church and be in fellowship. I Mm -hmm. I I hardly ever will talk under it. It kind of makes me nervous, but uh, you touched my heart, brother. Go to scripture. Thank you.
0: Come and be in fellowship, and the
1: Lord will bless you daily.
0: All right, here's what we're going to do. We got 20 minutes to just worship God, get prayer if you need it, come to the altar, and just do business with the Lord. So I'd like us to stand. I want our prayer team to take their spots. And uh, remember, prayer team, if you need to go into one of the side rooms, those are always available. Come for prayer during this time. Some of you may need to receive Christ. Get saved today. Receive Christ. Know that your sins are forgiven. He's knocking on the door. And all you got to do is open the door, and He says, I'll come in. Maybe you need to just surrender afresh. You realize today that you're not yielded. You're not abiding. You're not experiencing joy. Just surrender afresh today. Yield afresh. Maybe you need prayer for healing. Maybe you want to intercede for another person that you're concerned about. Sometimes we just need to come and get prayer, not for ourselves, but maybe, you know what, I'm burdened about this person. Would you pray with me for that? For physical healing. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we just yield now this time of response and worship to you. Have your will and way. Move in this room. We yield to you. Lord, let there be mighty ministry happening as we worship you now.